My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. And speaking of coronavirus, it's a crazy time in a lot of different ways. In particular right now, because we have this movement towards, you know, this this unthawing, if you will, or this movement towards reopening or whatever you want to call it. It's, it's, it's kind of scary. You know, we spent all this time like shutting everything down and, and, and learning how to fear this unknown virus. And now we're like, okay, it's safe to go out. Is it? Uh, how, how do you know? And so you go out there and look for information. And you, of course, the internet, you can go a lot of different places, hear a lot of different voices, many of which don't agree with each other. So how do you know? Well, a lot of them, what we, what we do is we, we, we look for an expert, right? And, and so experts are trotted out everywhere. Every news organization has their expert. The expert will tell us what to do, right? If the expert says it, then we'll know, right? Uh, well, the experts disagree. Uh, the experts, if you listen closely, will even say, we don't really know. Uh, this is our best guess, uh, things like that. You're thinking... How is that helpful, <laughs> right? Uh, and it's easy to get paralyzed. I mean, how do we know what, what to know about this whole thing? And as I was thinking about that, I, I thought the same thing happens to us when it comes to putting our trust in Jesus, when it comes to belief in God. It's easy to get paralyzed when it comes to that topic, especially when you're confronted with people that disagree Maybe you've had the experience that I had uh, when I lived in, in Colorado a few years back. Uh, our family had moved to Colorado to go to seminary, or so that I could go to seminary to become a pastor. And so we moved into this new neighborhood. It was a cul-de-sac, and we spent some time getting to know our neighbors. And one of the neighbors that I met, he lived, he lived right across the street, just kind of catty corner in the cul-de-sac. His name was Jarrett. Jarrett was a big man. I mean, big, like physically. He was like 6'6", 6'7", 270, 280, right? And he had an even bigger personality. I mean, he was just loud. He knew a lot of things about a lot of things. And he was, he was glad to let you know about him loudly. Um, and when he found out that I was going to seminary and that I was a Christian, that I believed in Jesus, it basically put a big old target on my chest. Because Jarrett was an avowed, brash atheist. And he thought it was hilarious that I believed in Jesus. And so he took every opportunity that he could to poke fun at me. He would try to provoke different things. He'd bring like controversial news stories to me. Hey, Shane, what do you think about this? And he just thought that was pretty funny. I'll tell you, a big man, a brash man, a brash atheist man coming at you like that, it's easy to get paralyzed uh, on what you know and what you don't know and how do you know it. Well, I say that, you know, we're in this, continuing the series through uh, Acts, and we're in this last couple of, of sec- the last section of it, where basically we're following, following Paul, 
And we're following Paul as he faced a number of different hostile audiences. We're in Acts chapter 26, which is where Pastor James left off last week. And whereas Pastor James in Acts 26, he concentrated on what Paul talked about before he met Jesus, how he met Jesus, what his life looked like after he met Jesus. And I want to pick up just in the few verses after that and basically take a look at how Paul had the confidence to share what he knew to be true about Jesus in the face of a hostile audience. And right up front here, I just want to let you know, give you up front what I think the reason for Paul's confidence is. That he was confident because he knew what he knew to be true. He knew what he knew to be true. I mean, have you ever taken time to ask yourself the question, how do you know what you know is true? How do you know that God is real and Santa Claus is not? Now, I just realized I might have created some dissonance for some of you who do believe that Santa Claus is real, but how do you know that? How do you know that another person loves you? I mean, really, how do you know? How do you know whether or not you're susceptible to the coronavirus? How do you know if you get it, you might die, you might not? How do you know? So it's not about what you know, it's about how you know what you know. Now, before I go any, give any, go any further, I just want you to let you know, I'm going to, for the next several minutes, I'm going to get pretty heady, okay? Uh, and so if you need to do what you need to do to track with me. I don't know where you are right now, but maybe you need to take a couple extra sips of coffee, do a couple of jumping jacks, whatever it takes, because you might have trouble. Just hang with me through this. I'm confident that by the time I'm done, you'll see how this is relevant in our everyday lives. When you stop to think about it, we mostly take for granted what we know. A lot of our knowledge, you could say, is presumed. We presume upon what we know. And we don't really pay attention to it until we're confronted with somebody who sees things differently. Like my neighbor, Jared. He was, he, he, he was confident. There is no God. I know that. Now, I was confident that there is a God. How did I know that? Did you know that there's an entire field of philosophy that exists to help people understand how we know what we know? And it has this really big word. So here's a really big word for the day if you like big words. It goes by the word epistemology. Epistemology. Wow, that's a big one. So what does it mean? Well, according to this dictionary, it means it's an investigation of what distinguishes justified belief from opinion. Now, now notice there's two different types of knowledge here, justified belief and opinion. Now, you may wonder, well, what about fact and truth? And what about what we know for certain? Well, to speak plainly, we don't know anything for certain. There's no such thing as certainty. If anybody tells you they are 100%, absolutely, without a doubt, certain of anything, they're either naive or deceived or delusional. Now, before you click off, (laughs) move on to something else here this morning, you know, give me a chance. Because there's very good reasons to be confident, to be justified in what we believe. And there's actually two primary perspectives on how we know what we know. How do we come to a place of justified belief? The first perspective says we are justified in what we know because of reason or rational thought. 300 years ago, Western culture entered what has been called the Age of Enlightenment. And by Enlightenment principles, the only way you know something is true is if it's proven 
rationally or empirically. Now, you know somebody is operating from an enlightenment perspective when you hear them say, I can't believe in God until you prove it to me. That's how you know they're operating from that perspective. Now, for the last 300 years, that perspective has dominated Western culture, but not so now. You see, the the whole thrust or idea behind enlightenment was if we just put aside that belief in God or religion or tradition, if we could just set that aside, and if we can base everything on reason or rational thought, then we can have consensus and we can quit fighting all the time. Uh, but that didn't happen. The age of enlightenment was marked by conflicts of every sort, and it culminated in two world wars and a, and a nuclear cold war where we're wondering if there's going to be a nuclear winner. And to this day, uh, Western culture, I mean, is divided over a number of things. Interestingly, a number of positions that are all, say, they're based in reason. So the first way perspective of how we know what we know is through reason. Now, in the late 20th century and here in the early 21st century, the pendulum has mostly swung away from the Enlightenment perspective towards something else, what we might call the postmodernist perspective. Now, according to postmodernist thought, knowledge is relative and personal. You know what you know based on what you've experienced, which means no one's knowledge is more valid than anybody else's. You may have heard somebody say, you have your truth and I have mine. That's postmodernist thought. The other thing about postmodernism, postmodernism says that we know what we are socially conditioned to know. In other words, you know, I know something because our family told us or our culture told us. So according to postmodernism, we don't know things because they're rational. We know things because we're included in a certain community. Now, what I want to point out is that if you go to either one of these extremes, you run into problems. For example, if I say, you must never believe anything unless it's empirically proven, well, that statement is self-defeating. It's false based on its own criteria. I mean, how can you empirically prove that statement? Now, if I go to the other extreme and say everything is relative, well, then that statement is relative and therefore you don't have to believe it. Now, if you're still hanging with me here, take a couple more sips of coffee, right? Hopefully, you can see that both these extremes are demonstrably wrong. The answer is somewhere in between. We, we, need both, we need both knowledge that is based on reasons and evidence, and we need knowledge based on personal experience. Now, let me share an example of how this might play out. Let's say you're an employer and you want to hire somebody. Now, you want to know without, without any doubt that that's the right person for the job, right? However, if you go to like reason and empirical evidence, and if you seek absolute certainty based on evidence, you'll never hire anybody. You won't know for certain. Of course, you still need reason. After all, if you don't use any reason at all, you're just going to kind of go, eeny, meeny, miny, moe, and and that'll lead to all sorts of chaos in the workplace. So you need reason basically to get you to a place of probability. In other words, that's what reason can do. It can increase the probability that you're right. But you still need, you won't know for sure until you have personal experience, which means at some point you're going to have to hire the person, which means you're going to have to take a risk, which means knowledge always, always involves a level of faith. Knowledge always involves a level of faith. 
So you're gonna, so reason increases the probability that you know something. Justified beliefs comes when you commit yourself by faith to what you know and gain personal experience. You have to get in there and kind of learn for yourself. Isn't knowledge and a wonderful, multi-splendored thing? Now, by now, you may be wondering if you mistakenly tuned into a philosophy lecture and not a Bible sermon, Uh, and I get that, but I wanted you to have that backdrop to understand the confidence that Paul demonstrates in Acts chapter 26, and so that we too might have confidence as we live out and, 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 and as we have our knowledge of who Jesus is. So in Acts chapter 26, we pick up where where Pastor James left off last week. We see that, that first of all, Paul's confidence is grounded in reason. It's grounded in rational thought. And we can know that Christianity makes sense rationally. That's at least that it made sense to Paul. And we see this rather humorously in the story as Paul's wrapping up his telling his story. Festus, who you may remember, is the Roman governor. He just, he loses it basically. And in chapter 26, verse 24, we see this. Suddenly, Festus shouted, Paul, you are insane. Too much study has made you crazy. (laughs) You see, Paul has been talking about the fact that that he had met Jesus personally and that he knew Jesus had risen from the dead because Jesus had talked to him on the road to Damascus. Now, now remember, Festus is an outsider in this situation. He was a Roman. He was a pagan. There was nothing in his background that, that gave him confidence in anything that Paul was saying. But I want to pay special attention to how Paul responds to Festus. We see it in verse 25. It says, but Paul responded, I am not insane, most excellent Festus. What I am saying is the sober truth. Now, another way to to translate that word sober from the original language is rational or reasonable truth. What I'm saying is reasonable. It's rational. Paul grounded his argument in reason. And then to bring this point home, Paul, he turns to Agrippa, King Agrippa, and he says in verse 26, King Agrippa knows these things. I speak boldly, for I am sure these events are all familiar to him, for they were not done in a corner. <laughs> in other words, Paul based what he said on publicly available evidence. I love that last phrase. These things weren't done in a corner. They weren't hidden over there in the shadows. No, they were available for all to see. Paul says to Festus, I, I realize you've never lived here. You're a Gentile. I can understand how this might sound a little crazy, but King Herod, no, he's different. You see, Herod Agrippa was part of a dynasty, a ruling dynasty. His family had lived in that area, that region, for generations. He grew up in that area. Agrippa was about eight years old when Jesus died. Now, what's taking place here in Acts chapter 26 is about 20 years later. It's about 20 years later. And Paul knew that anyone who had lived in that area for the previous 20 years, including King Agrippa, would know of the vast amounts of evidence that were available. They simply couldn't laugh it off. There was too much evidence. Of course, what was Paul talking about? Well, if you think about it, I mean, just take for a minute Jesus' miracles. According to the gospel stories we have in the Bible, Jesus, Jesus did hundreds. I mean, he did public, powerful miracles. And according to the gospel writer John, what we have recorded in the Bible is only a small fraction of what Jesus actually did. So hundreds of public miracles. 
That means that here 20 years later, there were thousands of people who had seen Jesus do that or heard of it or knew somebody who had seen it. And take the the resurrection. Take Jesus rising from the dead. According to Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, 500 people had seen, personally met, the risen Jesus. So that means there were thousands of people who, who are living transformed lives. In fact, by this time, 20 years later, there were dozens, hundreds that had died for their faith. And, and you just don't die for a hoax. That's why Paul could confidently say, if you've lived here, you know there's a ton of evidence. You cannot simply laugh it off. And Agrippa's response actually confirmed this. Agrippa did not agree with Festus. He didn't say, yeah, Festus is right. You are crazy, Paul. No. In fact, we see his response in verse 28. He says, Agrippa interrupted him. Do you think you could persuade me to become a Christian so quickly? My friends, that's actually a concession. (laughs) Agrippa did not refute the evidence. He agrees with what Paul was saying was reasonable. But at the same time, he chose not to believe. And his refusal to believe demonstrates rational evidence is not enough. In fact, Paul's life demonstrates that. Paul had seen the same evidence for the risen Jesus and the explosive power of the gospel while he was trying to stamp it out. Reason is important, but it's not enough. Knowledge also requires personal encounter. In other words, knowledge has to move from the head to the heart. Now, to understand what I'm getting at, I I want you to think for a moment about a person you know pretty well. In fact, I, wanna, I want you to think not only how you know that person, but I want to ask yourself, how do you know that person is trustworthy? Of course, you might say, well, I have evidence. I, I've known them a long time. I, I grew up with them, or I've known them for years, or I know their family, or, or I've worked alongside of them. I've seen them in action. There's evidence that the person is trustworthy. Okay. Well, what if that person comes to you and says, hey, I need you to loan me $10,000. I'll return it in about a month or two. You would want more than evidence if you're going to loan him $10,000, especially if that's pretty much all the money you have. You would want personal experience with that person to know that they are trustworthy. And even then, you don't really know, right? And so it would still take faith. But you have a lot of evidence, and you've known, you've experienced them relationally to know they're, they're trustworthy, and you go ahead and do it. Of course, maybe you start from the other side of the equation where you really only know them experientially, but you have this gushy feeling inside toward them, and you think they're a great person, and so you go ahead and you loan them the $10,000, even though you don't have a lot of evidence about them, and you're surprised when a few weeks later they ghost you, they disappear. See, both are important. I'm reminded of, you know, when President Reagan, you know, back in the day, of, was negotiating a, a nuclear arms treaty with the Russians, right? You'd want to know if you could trust him. In fact, he was asked by reporters, how can you trust the Russians? And he is famous for saying, you know, yes, trust, yes, but verify. <laughs> trust, but verify. You, you need evidence. You also need personal experience. So knowledge involves evidence based in reason and also involves personal experience. Now, Paul didn't have personal experience with Jesus until Jesus, till he encountered Jesus in a way that met Paul's specific need. As Paul describes his story there in the first part of Acts 26 and previous places, he, Paul, Paul's main thing that he wanted in life is he wanted to obey God's law. He wanted to be a moral person. 
But if you read uh, his letter that he wrote to the Romans, in particular Romans chapter 7, you realize that he, he came to terms with the fact that studying the moral law didn't even bring him close to becoming a moral person. Didn't even come close. Now, earlier in Acts 26, when Paul is telling the story and he, and he talks about meeting Jesus and Jesus speaks to him, and one of the things Jesus says is, Paul, it is useless for you to fight against my will, or a more direct translation, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. Now, Pastor James talked about this last week, this idea of a goad. A goad is a sharp stick that shepherds use to get sheep to go in the right directions because sheep are, sheep are stupid. Sheep will simply walk off a cliff. Sheep, instead of stopping and getting a drink of water, will walk into the water and drown. Now, a shepherd never does anything except for the safety of the sheep, but he realized that sometimes uh, the, the sheep, you have to like job, pat, pat, you have to stick them to, to introduce some pain uh, so that they'll do what they need to do for their own good. This is kind of what Jesus is getting at there. He, Jesus had the audacity to say that tremendous pain you're feeling in your heart, Paul, that is from me. What tremendous pain. Well, Paul, you see, was confident in his rational knowledge of God. He was confident enough to persecute and kill Christians. On the outside, he was fiercely religious and very moral. But according to Romans 7, on the inside, he was racked with guilt. He had pain in his heart. Then he met the risen Jesus. And Paul already knew, fact, Jesus had lived and died. He knew that. The evidence for that was clear. But he didn't believe the stories about the risen Jesus until he met the risen Jesus. And when he met the risen Jesus, he realized he could only find what he'd wanted all his life in Jesus because Jesus had actually lived the perfect life that Paul knew he should live but couldn't. Jesus died the death that Paul knew he deserved. He paid the price for Paul's breaking of the law. Paul realized that what he wanted most in life, to obey the law of God, he could only gain access to by putting his trust in the risen Jesus. When he put his trust in the risen Jesus, he found that Jesus both explained and resolved his pain, the pain that he had in his heart. When Paul connected the rational knowledge he had about Jesus with his personal encounter with the risen Jesus, he just oozed confidence. That's where he got his confidence. Now, the last thing I want to highlight here from this story about Paul is that he understood that this knowledge that he had of God, the head knowledge and the heart knowledge, was not meant for him alone. It was meant to be proclaimed. You see, to be a disciple of Jesus means to make disciples of Jesus, So that's what Paul's doing here. If you read this story, pay attention to the fact that Paul is not, is not giving a defense of himself to Festus and to Agrippa. No, he's trying to convert them. In fact, that's how Agrippa responded, right? What, are you trying to convert me already? Because what Paul knew, the knowledge that he had wasn't just for himself. He knew what was true for him was also true for them. It wasn't just my truth and your truth. No, this is truth. I know this to be true. So how does this apply to us today? Well, I want to just cover three things that I think that we can walk away from today, from this passage, and gain confidence in our knowledge of Jesus. First of all, we, can, we need to ground our confidence in reason. There are good reasons for believing in Jesus. There are good reasons for putting your trust in him. 
There's vast evidence that he actually lived and died and rose from the dead. We have better evidence for the historical person of Jesus than we do for pretty much any other historical figure that we learn about. There's good evidence. There's good reasons. And if you're, maybe you're struggling with the whole idea of the existence of God or you're struggling with, is the Bible true? There are good reasons for that. And so I invite you to go right now. So this is an easy application this week. Go to Right Now Media. There is, a, there is a video series on there by a pastor named Tim Keller who has some outstanding books on reasons for God. In fact, one of them is called that, Reason for God. And the video series is called that as well. So it's available. It's there. Go study it. In fact, not just yourself, but go invite a couple of friends or neighbors with you and go through it. Gain confidence in reason. There's good evidence. That's the first thing. The second thing is to seek personal experience with Jesus. Rational belief is simply not enough. Rational belief only gets you to the possibility, and then after that, you have to get in. You have to take a step of faith, a step of trust. You have to risk relationally to get on the emotional and relational knowledge that only comes by seeking that relationship. And here's where I want to bring you back to where I started the day on, and and that is the discipleship pathway that that Jesus walked through with the people that walked with him that we invite you to go on as a church. My friends, that's not simply some checkboxes. That's not things to do. That's not things to know. That is leading you in a personal relationship with Jesus. And so you connect with him, and then you grow in your knowledge of him, and then you serve because that's what he did, and you want to walk in his footsteps, and then you lead others. But that's not where it ends. It's not like, okay, I'm done, boom, check it off, put it in the corner. No. Especially once you start leading others, you realize, oh my goodness, I can't do this by myself. And so I I need to connect some more with Jesus and gain confidence. I need to grow more in my knowledge of him. I need to serve even more sacrificially. And boom, I have more influence. I can lead more people, which of course means, whew, I better connect more with God, right? This is a lifetime of growing in relationship by following Jesus' discipleship pathway. You need to seek personal experience with Jesus. I can't give you that knowledge as a pastor. Your parents can't give it to you. Your friends can't give it to you. Right now, media can't give it to you. You have to risk relationally and go after it yourself. The third thing I want to highlight is we need to focus less on results, especially when it comes to sharing our knowledge of Jesus. This is where we kind of get hung up sometimes. And because as good Americans, we, we're results-oriented. And, and you know, there's nothing wrong with results, for sure. But, but it's not a very good focus, especially when it comes to sharing our knowledge of Jesus. I go back to the story in Acts chapter 26. I mean, if you measured Paul's success based on the results of that encounter with Festus and Agrippa, he was a complete failure. <laughs> Agrippa and Festus and everybody else in the room, they rejected Paul. They rejected his story. They rejected all his reasons. The reality is, is when somebody puts their trust in Jesus, it's actually a result of a longer process that involves a lot of different people. And can, we can easily make a mistake on two ends of the spectrum. For those who are, who are proclaiming their knowledge of, of Jesus to somebody kind of early in the process, they can make the mistake of believing their efforts mean nothing. On the other end of the spectrum, when somebody's there, when, when, a, when somebody puts their trust in Jesus and it's a great moment, they can also make the error of believing what they did meant everything. My friends, it's, it's all along the way. What Paul knew and what we can know is that 
We have a role in the situation, and that role is to share what we know to be true. Not that we know everything, but this is what I know. Here are reasons, and here's my experience. We share what we know to be true in the power of the Holy Spirit and leave the results to God because it's, the results are in God's hands, not ours. We need to understand our role in the story like Paul did. Well, based on that, I, I want to go back to just sort of my story with my, my neighbor, Jarrett, he came at me strong. I mean, I, we lived there about three years, and that was a dynamic relationship. I'll just say that. But I had confidence in what I knew to be true about Jesus. I had spent a good bit of time studying. I've, I've, I've researched a lot into the knowledge, into the, into the rational evidence, into, into the reasons. that. And so I'm confident in the reasons that I can believe in God and that I can trust in Jesus. I've also had personal experiences with Jesus. In fact, prior to moving to Colorado, not that long before that, I had gone through this season where I was rescued from my own foolishness through the generosity of God and a very personal encounter with the living Jesus. I'll share about that some other time. But I just want you to know I had confidence, not, not, not certainty, but confidence in my interaction with Jared. And it was kind of fun. It was kind of playful. And we, over time, we developed quite a relationship and to the point where one day I was out in my front yard, I was either doing yard work or I think I might have been shooting a basketball or something like that. But he, he walked by because their mailboxes, you know, he, he lived over here and the mailboxes were over here. And he walked by going home from the mailbox. And I said, hey, Jared, I was, hey, hey, and I noticed there was something wrong. I mean, his face was kind of down. And I said, hey, Jared, what's up? And he's like, ah, nothing. I was like, no, no, really, I could tell there's something going on. And he said, like, well, and then he risked with me. He said, I just was at the doctor and I found out I have a genetic heart defect. I don't know if I'm going to live longer than a month or two. Wow. And so I just, I interacted with him and I, and, and I just loved on him. Uh, I really wanted him to say, have you put your trust in Jesus? But that wasn't the right time. And I just loved him. And I was like, wow. And, and we just talked for a little while and then he walked down the street. And, and it wasn't, but a couple of months later, he had found out that, okay, his heart defect, but it's not going not gonna to kill him and, and he's still alive today and all that. But just a few months later, I was out in the cul-de-sac playing with the kids, and, and he walked down his driveway, and he said, hey, Shane, can you come over here? This time, he actually invited me over, and, and he was in tears, I noticed, when I got over there. And he said to me that his, his best friend's wife had just completed suicide. And, and he was really struggling. He was really struggling about a lot of things. You know, what's life about? Is she in heaven? How do I know? And, and who, is there a God? I don't know. I'm just really wrestling. And so I just, we, we talked, and I just I went with him and, and where he was at. Again, I, did, I, did, I would love to have said, put your trust in Jesus, but I, but I didn't right there. I just, we just loved him, and, and we spent time together, and I asked if I could pray for him, and he let me. As I mentioned, we were there about three years, and... As our time came to a close and a church up here in Hillsboro, that's how I got to Hillsboro. They, they invited me to be up here and to pastor with them. And so we were moving away and our neighbors, we had come to be such good friends with so many of our neighbors there. And they, they threw a block party to say thank you. And there's about, about 30 people there having a good time. And near the end of it, uh, Jared asked for everybody's attention. And of course, Jared's a big guy, so he gets everybody's attention. Um, and he said, I have some things to share. And and he went family member by family member through the folks' family. And he gave each of us a particular gift that shared how, how that person meant to him. Just a little silly little gift. And then he got to me and he gave me a silly little gift. And 
it was perfect for you know, our interactions. And, but then he, oh, man. But then he looked me in the eyes and he, and he thanked me personally for loving him and for being his friend. And then in front of all those people, he said, and Shane, I just want you to know, I now believe in God because of you, because I saw God through you. That was worth a lot of trouble to get to. And like King Agrippa, he didn't put his trust in Jesus. In fact, I still to this day don't know. I still pray for him, still see him on Facebook occasionally. Uh, I was somewhere early in the process, and I'm still hoping for that later in the process when somebody is there, when he puts his relational trust in Jesus. But to be a part of that, to share what I knew to be true with him in the power of the Holy Spirit and leave the results up to God, what a powerful thing to be a part of. And that's what we get to be a part of as we are witnesses, just like the Acts of the Apostles back in the day. Would you pray with me? I pray by faith, believing God that you are real, and as the book of Hebrews says, that you exist and that you reward those who earnestly seek you. And that's what I want to do today, and I want to invite all my friends to do so that are tuning in right now. And maybe there's somebody here today, and, and you, you've been wrestling with doubts about, you know, is Jesus and God and the Bible and all that, and Today, I just want to invite you to trust. Maybe, maybe, maybe email us at pastors at isunrise.com. One of us would be happy just to walk through. We're not going to try to make you believe something you don't want to, but there's good evidence. We would just walk you through. So I invite you to do that. Maybe you have the evidence, or maybe the evidence, you have the evidence in your own life of your own brokenness that you just know you can't do it on your own, and you need something else, and you're ready to make a personal encounter with a living Jesus, and you can do that right now by reaching out relationally. I, I know it's strange with a God that he can't see, but you can have confidence that he is real and he is near and that he will receive you. By faith, you say, Jesus, I'm going to believe you're real, you're risen, you're there, available. I know I'm broken and I can't do it on my own. I want to put my trust in you. Would you cleanse me of my sin? Would you come and reach into my heart and begin to heal my brokenness? And you can know by faith that he comes and he heals. And based on the experience of many people down through thousands of years who have put their trust in Jesus, he exists and he really does heal. And you can know that to be true too when you reach out by faith and trust him. And for those of you who are listening today, you trust Jesus. You're part of the church. I just want to invite you to know what you know to be true, but also to to, to know that it's true for those around you as well. And that part of being a disciple is to make disciples. And, and, and you know those people. So take steps of faith, even this week. Take steps of risk to introduce people to the reasons for Jesus, to, interest, and to invite people into the relationship with Jesus this week. Let's be the church together. Jesus, would you empower us? Holy Spirit, I know you go with us. Help us, please, be the church. We pray believing in Jesus' name. Amen.